It's the Inside the Story podcast. I'm Matt Rosenberg. Thanks for listening. Local journalists are tasked with holding politicians to account and exposing the truth. So what happens when a newspaper writer in Las Vegas gets a tip that a small-time county elected official might be up to no good, writes about it, and then turns up dead? Zoe Bernard wrote about this bizarre story for Esquire. Zoe, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So one of the themes in your story is toxicity in the workplace. Um, And for you, was it clear from the beginning that this would have to be a central theme? Yeah, I mean, it it comes down to even just like how I found out about the story itself, which was that I read Jeff Gurman's original piece. Um, He detailed at length about the toxic workplace at the public administrator's office in Las Vegas. And that story, it was such a bizarre story. As someone who's covered um, toxic workplaces in the past, it's so hard to get sources on the record for that sort of a piece. Um, And he had, like, it wasn't that he had just one on-the-record source. He had five or six. And these people were complaining about the office in this way that was... um, I had just never really seen anything like it before. And then there was allegations of of an affair. So it was like the toxic workplace was so central to the story that unfolded. So if you say the name uh, Robert Tellis and Clark County public administrator to the average person, uh, most people are going to have no clue who that is, have no idea what that office is. Uh, And at the same time, this story is about a murder and, you know, revenge and potentially and retribution, which those those terms are very familiar to people. So you're kind of mixing the unfamiliar with the familiar. Um, How important was it for you to unpack all of the details of who the characters are uh, before getting to the actual story? I think the stakes, I think it's a very relatable story in some ways because i think you know most people have been in toxic workplaces unfortunately a lot of workplaces are toxic i know that i've been in a toxic workplace before and so i think from that um perspective people can really understand and identify with it but then there's also this aspect of the stakes are heightened unfortunately because this is a toxic workplace situation that resulted in you know an alleged murder and um, I think it sort of pulls back the curtain on on the, the dysfunction of some of these county governments um, and, and how they work. So tell us more about Robert Tellis and the public administrator's office in, in Clark County, Nevada, which is home to Las Vegas. I did not know that before this interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Robert Tellis, um, he was elected for the position of public administrator in Las Vegas, Clark County, right? Um, I believe that was in 2018. And that sounds like the snooziest role you've probably ever heard of, like public administrator's office. When I first heard about that, I was like, oh, what a boring office. I don't even understand what this means. But public administrator's office was formerly known as the coroner's office in Clark County. And it's the office that deals with people's things and effects after they die. So, you know, if you, Las Vegas is the number one place to commit suicide in the world. So if someone kills themselves in Las Vegas and they leave behind a whole bunch of, a horde of possessions, they leave behind their car, you know, their couch, whatever, there's a government office that has to piece through all of these um, different belongings 
when nobody comes to claim them. And so, you know, the people that work there, um, they have they have a whole set of employees that go into people's homes. And, you know, they were telling me just like horrible stories of things that they've seen, um, you know, walking into someone's home and just seeing like blood on the walls that they had like shot themselves in the head. It's, it's like a really gory job and it's really sad. And these people are under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure. Um, so Robert Tellez came in, came in and he had he, he had a lot of um he had a lot of ego i think when he came into the office and just he wanted to change things around and he, there was this tension he's a, he was um slightly younger than many of the people who were working in the office you know it was sort of run by this cohort of older white ladies and you know rob tellus is he's hispanic he was in his 40s when he came into office and he was a little bit spunkier maybe than they were used to and he didn't really defer to them possibly in the way that they had hoped. So you, you go into this clear tension and this clear divide between TELUS and the staff that were already there. And then he had also brought in some of his own people. Um, what was his approach coming into this job and why didn't it work? His approach, I mean, as I said, he, he came in with this, you know, this idea that he was going to transform the office. And, you know, it seems like that office there, they have so much work. Like, it just seems like they are um, overwhelmed with the amount of work that they have, that things probably don't work quite well or seamlessly. Um, And so he was like, I'm going to change everything all of a sudden. And people did not like that at all. Yeah. And, um, it, it, you know, and then on top of that, these rumors start about the possibility that he's having a relationship with one of the, the employees, uh, you know, when those rumors started to fly, how did the staff react? I mean, cause you have kind of, as, as I see it, you know, a divided staff, not just in the sense of, uh, you know, the tensions there, but also, some people are brand new that came in with TELUS and some people have been there for years. So like, what was their reaction when this, this started to, to, uh, become a rumor? I think it was, um, it was, it was also sort of seen. So the woman that, you know, uh, Rob was, was, a, had this alleged affair with this woman, Roberta Lee Kennett, she was, she'd been in the office for, for years and she was sort of like up among this cohort of like employees that had been there. She was friends with them. You know, they hung out together. And so she became close to Rob during COVID when they were working in the office together and they spent a lot of time together. And I think that many people in the office saw her becoming close to Rob as a betrayal and sort of a slap in the face that her allegiance had shifted from um, the employees who she'd known for years to their new boss who was coming in and trying to make a lot of changes, but also being kind of a dick about it. Um, and so I think that people were already, they hated him. And this was like a slap in the face. And it was also the fact that I think that many people in the office felt that, um, you know, this alleged affair that they were having that it was going on right under their noses, that they could sense that they were like maybe flirtatious, that um, they would go into each other's office sometimes and be talking. They would go out on, um, you know, drives to go see properties together, um, you know, where they were had to sort through the deceased 
possessions. And I think that people just got the the idea that um, that it was it, that it was flagrant, and they were furious. Yeah, and they essentially uh, execute a type of spy operation where they see them together, but they don't really see a smoking gun. Is that right? Yes. So um, there's a woman in the office who has been there forever, free to read, and he did not see eye to eye with Rob sort of from the very beginning. Um, And she had been, you know, really, she'd been in the office for maybe like 20 years or something. Like she'd been there for a while. And um, she had decided once things got bad enough at the office and, you know, it was once they suspected that he was having an affair with an employee, she said, I'm going to run against him. So you basically have an office dynamic where you have the person who's second in command, whose office is situated exactly next door to their boss, running against them for the same political office. Like it doesn't get more um, an environment can't possibly get more strained and tense than that. Um, and then on top of it, um, guys, they, they had complained to the county um, that they, they had suspected that there was something inappropriate going on at the office, but they had got these complaints had gone ignored. It's also like, it's very hard to prove this sort of thing to prove that there's an affair, you know, someone who's done like, you know, like sexual harassment reporting. It's very, very hard to get this sort of allegation um, all tied up neatly so that there can be action around it. Um, And so I think that they were like, you know what, like people don't believe us. We know this is happening. We're going to prove that something's going on. So they decided that they were going to start spying on their boss. Yeah, and I, going back to this the this longtime staffer deciding to run against her boss of a couple of years, I, I mean, I'm sure you must have found that incredibly bizarre. That that, that and, I, that, and, and that she would continue to work for him. <laughs> that, that that was, was you know. Fact, I, I was sort of like when I was initially poking around to see if there was a story here and someone told me that they were running against each other while they were working side by side in the same office that she was running against her off her her boss that kind of blew my mind and i was like wait what (laughs) i i had just never heard of something like that before it was so wild to me and i was like what is it like to go to work every single day and be like, I'm out for your job and to have that kind of tension. And that just, I was like, I've got to do, you know, a deeper dive. Like I'm so interested in what was happening in the office. Yeah. I'm talking with Zoe Bernard, whose story in Esquire is titled Murder and Loathing in Las Vegas. So, all right. So you've set up this uh, setting uh, of this office with a whole lot of tension. And now we get to the other main character of your story. That is Jeff German, who... Uh, is a reporter in Las Vegas who seems to me like really the stereotypical old newspaper reporter, old school newspaper reporter. You describe him as grizzled, relentless, that he he would dig up anything that he could find. Uh, he's reported on the mob and other um, shady characters in the past. So what was his approach? He gets this tip from from some of the, the workers in this office. What's his initial approach when he gets this tip? I think that Jeff Gurman is really kind of a rare breed of reporter these days and that um, 
he yeah he comes from this you know he's he was older he'd been he'd been in the newspaper game for ages and like he had covered like vegas in his heyday and he'd covered the mob and i mean he'd done story after story on like dangerous criminals like the guy the guy was not a newbie like he was he was super experienced um he was super super relentless and i think that he just had this like um, the streak of what makes a really good investigative reporter is that like, he just like, didn't, he, he's not the kind of reporter that would quit. Right. And so initially when he got this tip, what I heard from everybody involved was like, he approached it just the way that he approached every story. He was, you know, skeptical, poking around, never promised anyone that there would ever be a story, but like did his due diligence and, you know, he had gone back and forth on whether or not to actually pursue this story. But I think the thing that struck him, which also struck me as so unusual, which is so apparent in his initial story that he did on this story itself, was just how, how people were willing to go on the record, that there was obviously something going on. And the fact that the employees were spying on their boss, because you know they, they had, once they had this video footage, they came to the report and they said, you know, we have this video footage. Um, and the video footage is basically, um, it's Roberta Lee Kennett and Robert Tellez. They're in, um, they're in her car in the back seat of her car in a parking lot, and you can't really see what's going on. It's like maybe some sort of like shadowy movement in the back seat, and then they both step out together. And as you said, it's really not a smoking gun. Um, and so I think, you know, Jeff Gurman was just like saw that this was like it was an unusual story. It wasn't like a oh my god, the you know the things that are going on in this office are unbelievable, and this person needs to be taken down. It was just like what a strange story that employees would do this. And so he was like, there's definitely something here. Yeah. It doesn't have that blockbuster feel to it when it is first no. published, but it, 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 you know, it does lead to tell us not being reelected. So, uh, and the staffer who ran against him won. So it had, you know, it had a clear impact and it, it, it did its job in a journalistic sense. Um, at that point, after this first story comes out, what do you think that German's attitude was? I think after the story came out, you know, he followed the story the way that, like, if you, I mean, I, as a person who's done this kind of reporting in the past, it's like, you know, you do your story on the investigation and then you do your follow-up story mm. about the consequences of, like, you know, German revealed that Rob Tellis was pretty unfit to be public administrator, right? I mean, he's carrying on this affair. I mean, and there's there's so many more details that have emerged since, um, you know, since Rob Tellis allegedly murdered Jeff Gurman for this piece. But um, it's like Rob was not fit and Jeff Gurman revealed that. And so his second story, he just wrote a piece that Rob Tellis was, had lost to Rita Reed, his underling. Right, right. Um, you know, there's, before we get to the, the murder, to me, there's this like, triangle of communication that develops from the time that Jeff German becomes involved in this story. You have Tellus and Lee Kennett. You have this group of uh, of of workers who called themselves the outcasts who brought the tip to German and are trying to basically destroy Tellus. And then you have German uh, who is looking for answers. You know, did that become clear to you to, to that you were going to have to kind of navigate those three groups and, and figure out, you know, where they were intersecting and how they all kind of impacted each other? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I like the review journal has such a huge, the, that's the local Las Vegas paper. They have such a, um, 
huge role in this piece and um, it's, it's an awesome paper and, you know, they really have really amazing reporters there. And um, it, it seemed like, you know, Jeff was trying to navigate between like this role that I think that every journalist plays, which is like what belongs in a story versus what doesn't belong in a story. And um, one of the differences in this piece is that, you know, when, as a reporter, if you go after um, you're trying to bring to light truths often about very powerful people. And the fact of the matter is, is that Rob Tellis' office, it, he was not that powerful, like in the scheme of things. I mean, mm. he's like bottom of the barrel, like this is like the, the, the bottom of the barrel political um, office, right? And I think that he just was not used to this sort of scrutiny. And it was also unusual that this sort of um, small time county office would be subject to the sort of scrutiny. You know, it's it is paid for by taxpayers money and it totally is deserving of that type of scrutiny. But I think that Rob was completely unprepared to be analyzed and um dissected in the way that once you hold political office you become a public figure like this is what this is what it's all about yeah like he you write that he eventually wanted to become governor so this might be a (laughs) stepping stone to that but not one that he was at all worried you know being the coroner that's not uh, a position that you, you think you might be subject to controversy and and it surprises me that it's even an elected position yeah, I know. Yeah, it is. It is rather surprising that it is an elected position. Yeah. So, uh, so Gurman's found murdered. Tellus is arrested, and and then you're able to get the only on the record interview with him after he was arrested. How how did you get that interview? With uh, with Rob. Yeah. Um. So I actually did not. That's not. I did not oh. get the only on the record okay. interview. Um. <laughs> he he initially which I thought was so bizarre. He was talking to reporters right after he was arrested. I think like in the, in the week or so after his arrest, mm. um, he gave a video interview to the review journal and I believe one other, one other place. Um, and he, I mean, it, it's not like so revelatory, like what he revealed in those interviews, but then he, I guess he heard what happened to the reporting and decided he wasn't going to do any interviews. Um, I was struck by the fact that he gave those interviews at all. So I wrote him a letter when he was in jail, just seeing if he would talk to me. Um, it seemed like, you know, maybe he would, given the fact that he'd already talked to other, you know, journalists. Um, so, yeah, so I wrote him a letter and then wife reached out to me and yeah, we sat down and we, and we talked. Yeah. So his wife, I found that interesting wanted you to confirm that you were looking to tell his side, but you you didn't confirm that you would. Why? Why not? I mean, I think that, like, going into any piece, I'm, like, I always want to hear every side, right? Like, I wanted to sit down with him and hear his side of the story, and I told her that, you know, we were obviously interested, you know, Esquire and myself in telling a story that was um, kind of a 360 portrait of what had happened. And so is there the possibility that like, you know, maybe Rob Tellis was not murder? Yeah, that's, a, there, there is that possibility. I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk to him in some ways, but it's like, you know, the evidence is sort of overwhelming. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how things go in the trial, but it does seem like there's an overwhelming amount of evidence stacked against him, but yeah. 
Yeah, and that trial's coming up in April. Uh, yeah. Why do you think that he would ever agree to be interviewed at this point? I think that... Um, I think he's got a lot of ego, probably. And I think that he feels that he was... I think he's very... Uh, what What struck me about my interviews with him was that he's very stuck on what happened in the office itself still. And it almost seems that whatever happened between him and Jeff Gurman that led to Gurman's death um, was like an extension of that. Like he, he hadn't done anything wrong. He was the victim. His employees had come up against him. He was just doing what any person would do in that situation. That was just the sense that I got from him that um, every, nothing was his fault. Like he has this real, um, feeling he seems like the sort of person that struggles to admit when they're wrong maybe you can't see clearly so i'm sorry he, you know that that kind of person can't see clearly yes yes yeah absolutely he admits that he's got problems you know he, he's an alcoholic adhd uh was arrested on assault some years ago uh did you get the sense that he's the kind of person who would have killed a journalist for reporting the truth about him you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I could say that, you know, like I, I think that's the thing. And that's the thing that's like so spooky about all of this is that, you know, in interviewing the employees and talking to people that worked with Rob day in, day out, that experienced this really intense tension with him, you know, for the most part, I was like, you know, did you ever get suspect? I think we go through our lives day to day and we feel that we can trust our gut and our intuition. I know that I do. And I feel that, you know, if I knew, if I met someone who was like a murderer, I'm like, I feel like I would like sense that about them. And I think the reality is, is like, you really just don't know who people are. And even when the Review Journal first reported that Jeff Gurman was found dead and murdered, all the employees in the office knew that Rob Tellis had this massive vendetta against Gurman. Like he had written all of these threats on social media and he'd written um, a letter on his personal campaign website, um, you know, just venting about how German was like so in the wrong to be writing these articles. So it seems that he would um, maybe be a likely suspect in this case. But all of these employees were told me that, you know, they think that Bob had done it because it was so unbelievable that somebody would do something like that. And it's like, yeah, he was an erratic boss and a bad boss and he was a bit of a bully at times, but it's like, was he a murderer? And it, it's not just like, um, a, for, like a, a murderer in like a fit of rage, right? This was something that he pl- that he would have had to have planned out. Jeff Gurman was stabbed in the throat and the torso. This is like a someone taking a knife and coming to someone and just you know, committing this really violent, heinous act against someone. I think it takes a certain type of personality to do that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I couldn't say like, oh, my God, this guy's obviously a murderer. Like, no, I didn't get that sense. And I think that's something that's so spooky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he is certainly the easy person to hate in this story. But I mean, with with what we talked about with when he took over and his ambitions politically, do you think he had the right idea for the office and his vision, but just couldn't execute? Was was he? You know, was he trying to do the right thing in the beginning? Was his heart in the right place? You know, I think the thing, uh, what's his heart in the right place? I think that 
um, given what we've learned now, there's been more reporting documenting um, when he was he went to law school. He was part of a, um, a, a student body there that did some some governing and he completely abused his role and position there. So this sort of seems like a streak of his personality where like he comes in with a lot of bravado. Um, he's, you know, ha has a lot of ego and he wants to make a lot of changes and people do not, you know, they kind of like push against it. He's not a good leader and he's not a good boss. So yeah, maybe he came in and I, I do think that there's an aspect to him that is slightly compelling and that you have someone coming in who's maybe a bit of a fresher face, a person of color. They want to make a lot of changes. You know, he was hiring a lot of people of color, ushering um, people into this office that has been um, very demographically, you know, white. Um, and I think that that was something that, you know, on one hand, it's like as a reader, you, you want to, he would be maybe the prototypical hero in this sort of story. Um, but, you know, the under underbelly of this is like, it's more complex than that. And while he may have come in with his political ambitions and hope to make changes, um, no, I have to say his heart was not in the right place because since we've since learned that he was um, also stealing um, from from funds and he was completely corrupt while he was in office. So, you know, no, his heart was not in the right place. I was just going to ask you about that because I've heard rumblings that there are other allegations here. And you, you do mention that very, very briefly in the story. Um, something to do with uh, like buying homes that they were doing work in that were really cheap and then flipping them. Does that yeah. sound familiar? Yeah. So that, that, I believe that was a review journal story that came out. I don't have any reporting on my end that speaks to that. So I can't speak to it. Um, I just know from what I, I read from the review journal, but um, yeah, they revealed that he was corrupt when he was in office. Um, it seemed like he had some sort of like house flipping scheme. So he was, and I think it, that's a very easy position to abuse the power because it's like you're coming to all of this property and you know sometimes people have valuables in their homes and I think it's pretty easy to abuse that and to um sweep some sweep some money or whatever it might be under the rug I'm gonna try to play investigator here and that's not necessarily a good road to go down but so it, let's just say, and very hypothetical, and this is just me being a, a fellow storyteller and just wondering about how this all could play out, is if German might have been working on one of those stories before he was killed, and as of right now, there have been no charges against Tellus, uh, you know, related to any of those allegations. He goes to trial, and you have the prosecution may be trying to prove that Tellus knew that German was digging around in that area and was going to publish that story. But then you could argue that in that situation, the defense could just say, yeah, but there haven't been any charges. Uh, that's a, what, what do you think of that hypothetical? <laughs> Sorry, that there haven't been any charges about his, the, the alleged, he... the alleged financial improprieties. Um, I, you know, I, I actually, I'm not sure if there have been charges about that. I okay. think that there might have been recently. Oh. Well, in, in that, it seems, yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems that I think that that was another reason why, you know, Rob had, why Rob was so furious and why, you know, why he might've really had a motive to kill German was that German was 
a great reporter. Like he was digging around into this guy's business. He, in the days leading up to German's murder, German had filed a message request to Clark County um, requesting to see communications. I think it was between like Rob and a number of his employees. And so all of these communications were going to come to light. There could have been another story. And it was like, Rob had so much to hide, obviously, as we can see now. He was misappropriating client, misappropriating funds, and he was very likely having this affair, which he had denied on the record to Jeff German as well. So um, the truth was going to come out eventually. Um, German's work was not done, and I think that Rob was furious, and the only way that he could think of silencing German was through killing him. Very fascinating story. I, I just before we go, I want to ask you about uh, all the people that you talk to in this office. They they are really the other victims in this story. You know, their you know their lives are damaged here because of all this, and they feel a little bit responsible in your reporting uh, for what happened. Did you did you feel for them at the end? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think it's something where. I guess it had, had Rob Tellis been a normal person, you know, he, he would have been able, he, he would have done what I think the majority of people would have done that he would have seen that like, okay, you know, his, his name was sort of ruined for a little bit, but like people have short memories. They forget he would have been able to be an attorney again. It's very likely, right? Like his life would have moved on, but he was fixated and obsessed over this. And so I think that the people that initially contacted Jeff Gurman and that gave him the tip for the story in the first place, yeah, they have a tremendous amount of guilt. They feel that um, they had no idea that they were dealing with someone who was a potential murderer. Um, and I think the repercussions of that, they are, are traumatized, obviously. The story in Esquire is murder and loathing in Las Vegas, and certainly more updates to come of this trial of Robert Tellis is happening next April. Zoe Bernard, thanks for the time. Thank you so much. Coming up next week, we will celebrate this year's 50th anniversary of HBO by going inside the story of one of its most successful shows, Hard Knocks. My friend Jay Kring Schreifels recently took a deep dive for The Ringer We'll see you next time.